Please turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 20. John, the 20th chapter, the Gospel of John. We're going to read uh, two sections of God's holy word. We're going to read all of John chapter 20. And we're also going to read uh, part of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Because we're going to be dealing with the topic of the resurrection as I looked over these, these topics, and they do tie in with each other, um, Christ's exaltation, uh, he was resurrected, ascended, and also sits at the right hand of the majesty on high, and he is seen as the head of the church, and he reigns over all, but uh, I felt there was way, way too much really to be covering in one sermon, so we're going to be looking at just the resurrection Here this evening, a glorious truth in and of itself. And we're going to be looking at the other parts of Christ's exaltation, Lord willing, over the following weeks, as the Lord permits. But Christ, he humbled himself. uh, But now we're going to be looking at how he is exalted, victorious and glorious over his enemies openly. Now everybody might be wondering here, why am I covering the resurrection this Sabbath and why didn't I do it last week? Um, Well, yes, in a sense, last Sabbath is and was a resurrection Sunday. There's nothing really wrong with that in some ways, but so is today, the first day of the week. Ever since the resurrection of Christ every Lord's Day, every Sabbath day really is Resurrection Sunday. So as much as last Sunday we could celebrate the Lord's Day, the Resurrection of Christ, so equally as much so we should celebrate the Resurrection on this Sabbath day. In the Old Testament the Sabbath was on the seventh day of the week, what we would call Saturday today. Uh, But in the New Testament, ever since the resurrection, and we'll read it in a moment in John chapter 20, he rose on the first day of the week. Known to us as Sunday, or the Lord's Day, or, or the Christian Sabbath. He rose from the grave. Risen, triumphant, glorious. A truth to be reminded of. Truly, 52 days of the year. We are blessed in the Christian church of the New Testament era, not just to have a few holy days here and there. We have 52 of them, one a week, wonderful ones. That one holy day set aside for the week. So let's read now from John chapter 20, and afterwards we'll we'll read a small section from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. John chapter 20, let us hear God's holy and his infallible word. Now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb. We do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down 
and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen clothes lying there, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also, and he saw and believed, yet, for as yet they did not know the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain and they said to her woman why are you weeping and she said to them because they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him now when she had said this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus Jesus said to her woman why are you weeping whom are you seeking She supposing him to be the gardener and said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, that is to say, teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now Thomas Called the twin, one of the twelve was not with them. When Jesus came, the other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see his hands, uh, the print of his nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them, Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here, and look at my hands, and reach your hand here, and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen Yet have believed, and truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. 
But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Amen. And we'll turn also to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Just going to read the first eight verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which also speaks of the resurrection. Really, the entire chapter deals with the resurrection, but we'll just read the first eight verses of this chapter. Paul wrote under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 to 8. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which you have received, by which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas and by the twelve. After that he was seen by other five hundred brethren at once, in whom the greater part remain to the present, and some have fallen asleep. After that he was seen by James, then by the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. And may the Lord bless the reading of his holy and his infallible word. The belief that Jesus rose from the dead, that he was truly dead in the tomb is a belief without which there is no Christianity. There is no Christianity. Many Christians know this to be true, but perhaps not many know why. Why is the resurrection so important? Put it another way, why should we care so much about this doctrine? We should care because is Jesus alive today? If he is not, we are without hope. If he is not, we are in trouble. He suffered more than you or I ever will in this life. And today, we rejoice on the first day of the week He lives. He lives. His life brings hope to believers in Jesus Christ. We have a home in heaven because of this. Without that, there is no home in heaven. There is no joy in him. And without this, really, Christianity would be a a shameful waste of time without the resurrection. But praise God, it is true. Praise God, he is risen. And praise God... We have seen, all right, he has been witnessed to by countless. We read this in, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In this sermon, we're going to be looking at this topic of the resurrection. Really two questions, question 51 and question 52, cover this in the Westminster Larger Catechism. He's exalted. And this is all about inspiring awe in him. He's conquered the grave. He has conquered death. Itself. And now, no longer to be humbled himself, 
not now for his glory to shine forth more wonderfully and gloriously than before. Number one, we're going to look at, at this, on this doctrine of the Christ's resurrection. We're going to look at the triumph of truth. The triumph of truth is our first point. And he rose according to hearsay, according to the newspapers, scriptures. He rose according to the scriptures. Everything he said that would happen, he said he would rise again from the dead, did happen. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 4, and Paul says that, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. What is at stake here is the integrity or the truthfulness or the trustworthiness of sacred and holy scripture. Dear friends, if there is no resurrection, the scriptures are wrong. This is why it is so important. The triumph of truth over lies and falsehood. It says in John chapter 20 verse 9. And we're going to be looking at the sections we read earlier quite a bit in this sermon. But John 20 verse 9. For as yet they did not know the scripture. That he must rise again from the dead. But this is what the scriptures testified of. That he would rise again from the dead. And there was a sense in which when they found him, they were like, where is he? And then when Mary Magdalene was talking to the gardener, what have you done with his body? There was something holding them back from understanding the full reality and the full glory of the resurrection itself. What did, it, what did the scriptures teach? Well, the scriptures teach that the Holy One could not be held by death. Uh, there's a wonderful section in Psalm 16. Psalm 16 says this, For you will not leave my soul in Sheol. Some of the old translations will say hell. Um, Sheol was kind of a, a place of the dead, or the grave it could be translated as well. You will not leave my soul in the grave, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Isn't that amazing? Hundreds of years before Jesus came upon the earth and walked as a man, as the son of man. It's foreshadowed, you could say, or spoken about long before it happens. Peter actually, when he's preaching in Acts chapter 2, quotes from this. That his soul would not be left in Hades as we have it in English, in Greek actually, it's a the transliteration Hades or hell. The idea is his soul was not left in the grave. He died, but death could not keep him. And it also says, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. What happens to a typical body when it goes into the ground? Just say it's many years later. Just say 50 years later, you open up, it turns to dust, don't we? We've been made out of the dust of the earth and eventually our physical bodies will return to dust. Now, as believers and even unbelievers will be resurrected as well for judgment, but there will be a resurrection at the end of time. 
But a wonderful thing it says about Jesus in Psalm 16. Nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. I don't think we fully grasp how wonderful this is. Our bodies, when they go into the ground, they will see corruption because we're sinners. I'm a sinner, you're a sinner. But Jesus was not. Holy, pure. And because of that, he lay, his body lay in the ground, and it did not see corruption. Now, as we said earlier, if, if the resurrection did not happen, the Christian religion would be a nonsense. It would. It would be a tragic waste of time because it would purely be as maybe the caricature of Christianity is this. It's just for people to make themselves feel better. The world thinks, well, we're just here to make some therapy, to, to be happy. No, friends. If what Christ said or the scripture said is not true, it's a delusion and we are still in our sins. That's how important and central and, and, and essential the resurrection is. If he did not rise from the grave, he could not possibly be the truth because in what he spoke of wouldn't have come to pass. He could not possibly be the way because he couldn't lead unto the Father through a sinless life. And he couldn't be life itself because he wouldn't be alive. But praise God, he lives today. Jesus lives today. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And as they discovered, they went into the empty tomb at the beginning of John chapter 20. Now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. Where's the body? Panic. What's going on? Well, he's risen, isn't he? And it happened on the first day of the week, celebrating a new creation. He's not in the tomb. It says it in verse 14 to 17 of the same chapter in John chapter 20 verses 14 to 17. This is Mary Magdalene and she's saying now when she had said this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her woman why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She supposed him to be the gardener and said to him sir if you've carried him away tell me where you have laid him and I will Take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned to him and said, Rabboni, which is to say, teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me. I have not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. But just see how they struggled. There's a sense of unbelief. Yeah, they're believers, but there's a sense of Is that really possible going on in their minds? Now this is the time before the Spirit of God has been poured out upon them at the time of Pentecost. Where there's greater um, power given to God's people through that outpouring of the Spirit of Almighty God. But you see how a kind of an unbelief, a struggle, it's not an intellectual thing. 
You know, these are probably very smart people who understand far more after Pentecost, after the Spirit of God's been poured out, but they really struggle with this idea of him rising from the dead. For as yet they did not know the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. They did not understand the scripture. Which shows us we need God's spirit to believe this stuff, don't we? We need God's spirit to help us to understand these things. Yes, God has given us a brain. God has given us an intellect. We ought to use it. But we need to believe. We need to trust. We need to rest upon him. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not in your own understanding. Many, many rest in their own understanding. It says in Matthew 17 verse 9, Now as they came down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. The, 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 the trustworthiness of Jesus is at stake here at the resurrection. Mark 9, 9, Now as they came down from the mountain, he commanded them that they should tell no one the things that they had seen till the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So Jesus knew this would happen. He is the son of man. He speaks of himself. And, you know, even, even in human relationships, we are as good as our word, aren't we? we, we if we promise something, and if we don't keep them, our, our word doesn't mean a whole lot. Do we believe Jesus? Well, everything he said that he would do, he does it. Perfectly, without any failing. And it says why John wrote this. John, this is the apostle whom Jesus loved, referred to in this, in this chapter. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, verse 31 at the end of the chapter, but these are written. Why are they written? So that you may believe. These things are written so that you may believe. It's not just so we can store our minds with information and think how clever we are. It's so that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. They're written for a reason. It's written so that we may believe that Jesus rose from the dead. That you believe Jesus, that he is the truth. And to believe Jesus is not just to believe the red letters in the New Testament. To believe Jesus is to believe Genesis chapter 1. It's to believe Revelation 22. It's, it's the word of Christ dwelling in you, Colossians, tells us it's the Psalter as well. It's the word of Christ is right here. He is the word. He is the word. And to believe Christ is to believe the Bible. Number two now. So we've looked at the triumph of truth. Number two now we're going to look at the defeat of death. The defeat of death. Now death is an enemy. And we often forget this. Because we're so used to. We live in a world full of death. And we, we take death kind of as normal. Um, sometimes you might. I can think of certain you know, movies you'd watch. And people talk about death. Well death is natural. Death is normal. Death is normal in this fallen world, but it's not natural. Not the same thing. It says in 1 Corinthians 15, 26, the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. 
death. Now Mary Magdalene, as we saw in the passage we just read earlier, this is not what she was expecting. The fact that there was no body, no dead body in the tomb, really confused her. She struggled with this. Truth triumphed, but so did everlasting life. See, death was openly defeated and placed under the feet of Christ. Openly. Vindicating that he is the life. Remember, we even read it for the call of worship this morning. Jesus said, I am the truth, the way and the life. Well, he is the life. And it doesn't just mean come to me for life. He is life itself. He is God. It says in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Verse 21, for since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. And by man is speaking of Adam. Adam brought in death through, through sin. And friends, this is why we ought to hate sin. Not just sin in a general idea. and No, our own sin. Our own law breaking before God. Because sin brings in death. By man also came the resurrection of the dead. This is the, the second Adam. The resurrection of the dead. Verse 22. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. By man, this is, the enemy came in. And it's been a problem ever since. For thousands of years. And, you know, the, the news is filled with conflict, isn't it? The news is filled with suffering the news is filled with you know times it makes us feel for people struggling in Ukraine and other places like that but the central problem is sin it's not Vladimir Putin he's he's a, he's a, he's a wicked man i know this but there are many wicked men around the world sin is the real central enemy the world the flesh and the devil. And before we just kind of go up and say, look at that sinner over there, the biggest enemy we all face is our own hearts. We can't trust our own hearts. And I think that's something modern day Christianity has really forgotten that we can't trust our own hearts. Sin, death is an enemy, and death is certain, can't avoid it. In the UK every day, 1,600 people die. Every day. That's a normal day, by the way. That was before 2020. It's after. It's an average day. And I remember the, the news reports from a couple of years ago. 80 people have died today. 100 people have died today. Well, there was 15, 1,600 people who died of other things. And yes... Death is sad, it's sorrowful in every single situation. 70 people dying an hour in the UK. The solution is the gospel. The solution is Christ. The solution is the one who has defeated death. 
We're all going to die one day. This world is not our home. And the Lord knows the time when we'll breathe our last, last breath. We all think, I think we all have this, we struggle with this idea. We think we're all going to have 80, 90 years on this earth. None of us are guaranteed that. None of us are guaranteed that. God knows is in control of the day and the hour when we will breathe our last. Ecclesiastes 3 verses 1 and 2 says this, to, everyone, every, to everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck what is planted. Our lives are so frail and they hang by a thread. If only we knew. It's only in the Lord's hands that we have been here this long. Any of us. But praise God that we have hope of eternal life because he's placed death under his feet by rising from the dead. A defeated enemy. And think about this. I think we all have a somewhat of a inbuilt fear of death, don't we? To a degree. And it's probably a a healthy fear of it, if you want to put it like that. But death is a defeated enemy. It may take us, maybe even tonight, but it is a defeated enemy. If you're in Christ, it is defeated. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, as Paul wrote, oh, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. Now, if you're not a Christian, I've heard of non-Christians saying, I don't, I'm not afraid of dying. And I, I, I tremble when I hear that. And I think, you should be. You should be terrified. You shouldn't have a moment's wink, sleep. If you're not a Christian... It's hard to even think about, isn't it? The agony and the torment of those who will spend an eternity in hell. And it's all just. If, if you're not a Christian, death should scare you. Judgment face to face with God for your crimes should scare us all. But the resurrection points toward another reality that wrath has been satisfied. Number three, number three now, the satisfaction of debt, of wrath, sorry. So the triumph of truth, the death, the, the defeat of death, the satisfaction of wrath. Now whose wrath are we speaking of? If you'll read some people, I don't recommend it, but some people will say it's, it's, it's our own wrath or something else. It's... Um, it says in Isaiah 53 verse 10, Yet it pleased the Lord, that's Jehovah, to bruise him. That's the suffering servant. It's the wrath of Almighty God. And it's just holy wrath. Justice. And Jesus bore that. Surely has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. It says in Isaiah 53 verse 4. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So he suffered. He suffered our wrath. He suffered our hell. 
And how do you know that the father accepts his sacrifice? He rose. He would still be in the grave if it was not acceptable before him. So we have an open vindication or showing in public that all that he said is true and that he appeased and satisfied justice for you and I, believers in Christ. His offering was pleasing because wrath is satisfied and when wrath is satisfied, there is no more death. There's no more death. He rises as our high priest, offering the final sacrifice needed for sin. It says in Romans 4.25, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised, raised because of our justification to declare us righteous in him. See, dear friends, without the resurrection, this is all gone all of it imagine somebody you might even see this in court cases somebody feels they have been wrongly charged and they feel like they they go to court and they want to appeal don't they they say this is the wrong verdict you know somebody goes to prison maybe they're completely innocent of the crime and they appeal a second time Now what happens if the person is not guilty and the judge sees that this person is not guilty? The verdict is changed. Vindication of the person's character. Some people actually would go back and appeal a decision even after they've served time. You know, they'll come out of prison, maybe they'll be out of years, and they'll appeal the decision. Why? To clear their name. And Jesus' name has been vindicated that he is without sin, innocent, cleared of any suspicion of blame. Because Christ never did anything wrong. Actually, Christ did everything perfectly, he kept the law perfectly. Yet he was despised by mere men. Why was he despised by mere men? Because he kept the law perfectly. Because he was sinless. You know, you'll even see unbelievers struggle with this. Why did they kill him? Because he was righteous. He was the most righteous man to ever walk upon the face of the earth. That's why they nailed him to a cross. Now, of course, it's in the Lord's hands, of course. It was, it was, his, it was his purpose that he came to die, but at the same time, what made wicked men do that? Just like we would talk about Cain and Abel another week. Despised, mocked, yet through the resurrection, it's seen that justice is served. It is appeasing before God. He is innocent. All those who mocked, do they, they look a bit silly now, don't they? You know, they said, if you're the Christ, come down from the cross. Innocent, declared to be innocent. And if you're in Christ, you're declared to be innocent too. In him. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? We gain the blessings of what he endured. Do you trust him? Do you trust that he rose from the grave? And you might think, well, who would struggle with such a thing? Well, Thomas struggled with this. All the disciples 
say to him, we've seen the resurrected Christ. And he's like, no, 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 unless, he said to him, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails, I want more proof. I, mm. Thomas, you know, in forever remembered as doubting Thomas, even to this day. You know, a person, if they're struggling with something, it'll be called a, a doubting Thomas. But we can struggle too, can't we? Sometimes there are people in churches, dear friends, sometimes will only admit that they struggled in the past, you know, usually after they came out of it. But there are so many people who struggle with things. And unfortunately, they're told, ah, just believe. Or, you know, they're given us a simple answer like that. We all have things that may cause us to doubt. And what we should do not ignore those things, but study those things. We'll pray the Lord will give us and help us. But also, maybe there are things in the scriptures that we need to look into. And maybe if we saw more things in the scriptures, it would help us in our struggles in various areas, in various points where we were like Thomas and say, no, 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 I need more proof. But he believed. He saw clearly This is no delusion. He touched, he witnessed, and he believed. Now, we don't have the blessing of what Thomas had right in front of him. But you know what it says for us here this this evening? Because you've seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's you. We haven't seen Christ with our physical eyes. Nobody since uh, the ascension has seen Christ with their physical eyes. But blessed are you who have not seen and yet believe. And finally, we're going to look at as well briefly, number four, the certainty of our own resurrection. The certainty of our own resurrection. So the triumph of truth, the defeat of death, the satisfaction of wrath, and the certainty, the surety that it's going to happen. Because he has triumphed, defeating lies, death, satisfying justice and wrath, We are certain to rise from the dead. Now I think we can sometimes slip into something I talked about this morning in the sermon. That spirit stuff, that's good. Flesh, yeah, that's bad. We can slip into thinking like that. But the flesh was not made bad with Adam and Eve. We're going to have one day resurrected bodies. It says... In John 20, verse 17, John 20, verse 17, he said, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. He spoke how he would, he would die and he would rise, but he also promises that we would rise in him. This is one of the points made in question 52. How was Christ exalted in his resurrection? How was he exalted? Well, it names out a number of different things. He was exalted in his resurrection, not having seen corruption and death. And at the very end of the paragraph in the Westminster Larger Catechism, it says, to assure them of their resurrection from the dead at the last day. Now, I know when we think of the resurrection, we often forget to think of our own resurrection, the last day, don't we? We often do forget it. 
He was exalted and resurrected, and because we're in him, he rose, we will too in him. In 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 onwards, now if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? So some of them were saying, well, we're not going to have a resurrection of the dead. And Paul was correcting this error. Verse 13, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. Paul says, if there's going to be no resurrection of our bodies as believers in Christ, then Christ hasn't been raised either. He connects the two. We have a glorious future ahead of us because we're in Christ. In Christ, death has been vanquished. Now, we have a resurrection body to look forward to. Now, it's not going to be like a, a brand new body. You know, you kind of say you're, you're painting something and it's gone really bad and you throw it in the bin and you start off afresh. No, it, in some senses it'll be the same body. But it won't be subject to the weaknesses and the struggles of this life. It won't be subject to the suffering we are suffering through today. That can be aches and pains that are, you know, as we age, no more will it be with a resurrection body. He is not subject to those things. A glorious resurrection body no longer can die. So, dear friends, the resurrection. Is not, well, yes, Christ rose from the dead, yes, but, and he did it by his own power, but because we're in him, we have that to look forward to, two resurrected bodies. And he assures us of ours because of him. It says in Revelation 20, verse 6, Revelation 20, verse 6, blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no Power. Isn't that interesting? No power. Death has no power. The second death has no power if you're part of the first resurrection from the dead. We can walk around as Christians sometimes with all of the woes and the struggles and the difficulties of this world and we're thinking about them. Friends, it's madness. Can I tell you why? We have so many things to be thankful for. I'm not saying you won't struggle in this world. You will. You will struggle. You will will suffer. But friends, there's so many things to be joyful for. We're going to one day, yes, we're going to die. But to live as Christ and to die is gain. And then it even gets better again in the future. What do we do to gain any of this? Nothing. We've got riches and beauty to come. And we didn't suffer for it. We didn't earn it. Christ did. There's a sense in which, and I know we will have times of sorrow, and we should sorrow at times. We should be one of the most joyful people on the face of the earth. 
because we are the most privileged and blessed. Yes, we will suck Christ himself, even cried out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yet, he had joy. He had joy. Christ's resurrection means our own. is certain. So those aches and pains, those things that Maybe you're losing sleep because they're a lot worse than they were 20 years ago. One day that will be gone. Gone. Are we looking forward to that day? We should be. And if we're not looking forward to that day, why, dear friend? Why are we not looking forward to that day? The longer I live on this earth, the more I can't wait for heaven. Amen.